It is not very often that I think about the opening illustration as I read the passage of Scripture for the first time. But this week, when I read the passage of Scripture that we were going to be looking at, I automatically thought of a friend that I have, and I messaged him as soon as I read this passage of Scripture. This friend of mine started riding bulls when he was in middle school, and we would, he would compete and go to different rodeos as a middle schooler. When we got into high school, he, he went into high school rodeos, and he would drive all over and compete in high school rodeos, and he was fairly good because uh, he got a scholarship to ride bulls in college. Now, there's this saying in bull riding. It's not when you get hurt. It's not if you get hurt. It's when and how bad. Amen. So for a while, Tim rode bulls. But then about the age of 30, Tim retired from bull riding, and he took up another sport. He began motocross racing. <laughs> now there's a saying in motocross. It's not if you get hurt, it's when and how bad. I sent Tim a message, and I said, Tim, he just is recovering from a surgery. And I said, Tim, how many surgeries is this you're recovering from? And he sends me back a message. I have lost count. <laughs> and then he sent me a message and he said, my wife and I are thinking this one was 35. And I said, how many broken bones have you had? And he said, well, at least 35. <laughs> but not all broken bones require surgery. Probably in the neighborhood of 50. 35 surgeries, actually 37 surgeries, sorry, I should have looked at my notes. 37 surgeries. I need to start all over again, don't I? Yeah. 37 surgeries and close to 50 broken bones that he could recollect. I think there's probably been a broken bone here once or twice too. But I, won't, I won't share that. So this morning we're continuing our journey through 2 Corinthians. And as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16 through 33 this morning, it's in this passage that we learn a little bit about what the Apostle Paul endured as the Apostle Paul, mm -hmm. as a servant, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And as we look at him, and as we look at this passage, we see Paul doing some reluctant boasting. As we have been looking at Paul and we have been seeing him defend his ministry, he has been reluctant in his boasting. But that's what the other side is doing, is boasting and seeking to tear him down. So in this passage, we see him kind of coming to their level and doing some reluctant boasting. And it turns out that as he shares this reluctant boasting, there have been some bumps and there have been some bruises along the way as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it turns out that those bumps and those bruises come with the territory. That's what happens as an apostle, as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 with me. And we want to look at verse 16. We're going to move through this. And I'm going to read all of this 
uh, as we begin, and then we'll dive in and pick it apart. But this is 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16. It says this, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we're too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Amen. Now, as we dive into this passage this morning, there are going to be two headings that we're going to use that are going to kind of lead us through this. The first thing we see is Paul's foolish debating. And the second thing we see is Paul's foolish defense. Before we dive into this, let's just pray. Lord God, I do pray for our time together this morning that our hearts and minds will be opened to what you have for us. Lord, as your word is open on our laps this morning, as we have read your word this morning, I pray that your word would speak to our hearts this morning. We know, Lord, that when you speak to us, it is through your word. And so we pray, Lord, this morning that we would hear from you, not the ramblings of some man, but I pray we would hear from you. And so, Lord, just take my mind and my heart and my tongue and Help me to share what you'd have me to share. I pray I'd share nothing more, but I pray I certainly would share nothing less either. And so open our hearts and minds to what you have for us, Lord, so that when we leave this morning, we'll be able to say that we have heard from you. Mm -hmm. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Now, the first thing we want to look at this morning is Paul's foolish debating. Look at verse 16 with me. He says, I repeat... Let no one think me foolish. Now, 
Paul does not enjoy using this same tactic that these false apostles and these false teachers were using. But if they discredit Paul, if they take away Paul's authority and who Paul is, they're going to discredit his ministry. And if they discredit his ministry, they're going to discredit the gospel. And that is what Paul does not want to happen. He wants the gospel to remain in their ears. He wants them to recognize Jesus Christ as the one way. He wants them to see that. He wants them to recognize that. And so we see him defending himself because his enemies are tirelessly vaunting themselves and tirelessly sneering him. And so he wants to make sure that they understand who he is and what he's about. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 11, we saw Paul share with them that he wanted the people to bear with them. And as we're in this, and as we're in this discussion, that thought is still here. And he says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. He says, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a fool. If they already see him as a fool, let them listen to it. Because they have been sharing and they have been boasting, the false teachers have, and they have been, the people of Corinth, have been listening to their boasting. So Paul says, if you see me as a fool, like they are a fool, then at least listen to me while I act foolish. Let's open your ears and open your minds because all of that other boasting you've listened to, now it's my turn. Listen to what I am going to share with you. Open your hearts and minds to this. Now notice what he says in verse 17. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Now some have looked at this passage and they have shared that Paul is not being led by the Holy Spirit when he writes this. And I don't agree with that at all. I don't think that's what he's saying here at all. What Paul is saying is that as he's here, Jesus isn't one who would boast about himself and boast about his ministry. Jesus came sharing facts, right? Jesus came sharing the truth. And that's what Paul is doing here. He is not boasting about his ministry for his own sake. He is sharing and he is sharing and telling them so that they would see the truth of the gospel. The false, apostle, the false apostles were boasting according to the flesh. They were boasting so that they themselves would be elevated. Hey, isn't that what boasting does? Look at me. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I do. That's what boasting is about. Paul's boasting was different. His boasting was not sinful boasting. His boasting was showing and, and seeking to show them what Christ had done, what Christ was doing, what Christ had done through him, what Christ had done with him. That's where Paul's boasting was. What Paul shares is accurate. Paul doesn't embellish what's going on, what has happened in him. Paul shared in 2 Corinthians 10, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. That's where his boast is at, is look what God has done. Look what God has done. Now notice verse 19. He says, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. 
for you bear it. If someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Paul, once again, is just opening and giving us this dash of sarcasm. Don't you love those recipes when you read them and it says a dash of salt or a dash of pepper or a dash of jalapenos? I have no idea what a dash is. We see this dash of sarcasm. Paul sharing with us a little bit of sarcasm here. The Corinthians willingly listened to these false teachers. He says there in verse 19, you gladly bear with fools even though you're wise. You, you bear with these fools. Their false teaching had come in and their false teaching had captured them. Their false teaching had enslaved them. Their false teaching was leading them away as captives. And what did they do in return? They bore with it. They allowed it to happen. He says in verse 20, For you bear it. If someone makes slaves of you, you bear it. If someone devours you, you bear it. If they take advantage of you, you bear it. If they put on airs, you bear it. If they strike you in the face, you bear it. This was the same thing that was going on in Galatia. Paul shared this in Galatians 2, verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery. In Galatia, these Judaizers were going in and they were saying, hey, you can't have Jesus without the law. You've got to follow the law. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to do everything that the law tells you to do. Then you can have Jesus. And Paul was telling the people of Galatia, hey, we're being taken into slavery under the law. We have freedom in Christ. We don't need that other stuff. The people here in Corinth were being taken captive by these false teachers, enslaving them. And Paul says, hey, I already have been here. I've already given you freedom in Christ. Why bear with that? Why allow them to take you captive? Stand on the truth that has been shared with you. Hold on to the truth. Don't bear with all of that other stuff that's enslaving. He says there, they even strike you in the face. Man, I don't know about you, but getting struck in the face, that's, that's a pretty serious smack, right? Amen. I mean, we can take words of abuse, but punch me in the face, it's kind of hard. You know, that's hard to handle. That's hard not to take what their true meaning is, right? If they, if they say something to us, we're like, well, maybe he didn't really mean it that way. Maybe that's his outcome. Punk! We know what they mean when they try to remove our nose, right? That's right. We understand that. And he's saying that's exactly what you guys are enduring is a kick to the face. That's, that is what you're enduring. Uh, and, and he's sarcastic. He's deep in his sarcasm here. Notice verse 21. To my shame, I must say, we are too weak for that. Remember the accusations that they've been throwing at Paul? 
He's too weak. He's bold in his writing, but he's too weak in person. And he says, I confess, I'm too weak to come and smack you in the face. I'm too weak to lead you into uh, bondage that you don't need to be led into, that you're free from. You've got me there. I'm, I'm too weak for that. That's, that's what Paul is saying. And this leads Paul into his defense. He, he has this little bit of debate here and debates with them and shares this with them. But now he goes into his defense. And he's defending his ministry. He's defending his apostleship. And he's showing here through this defense the things that he's endured as an apostle. And, you know, as we think about these things that he endured, I think these are things that would separate the men from the boys. Right. It would separate the real apostles from the fake apostles. Amen. Now look at verse 22. He says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Paul says in Philippians that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's, that's who he is. These false apostles must have been claiming that they were Jewish. They claimed to be native Jews. I don't know if you have this in Michigan. I have not seen it in the 24 years that I've been here. But in Colorado, you often see people with bumper stickers and they say, Colorado native. And they, they have those bumper stickers on their bumpers. But then you also see people that say, I'm not a native, but I got here as quick as I could. <laughs> Right. These false teachers are claiming that they are natives. And they must have been claiming that Paul was not a native, but he got here as quick as he could. Paul says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Now, Paul was born in Tarsus. We read that he's Saul of Tarsus. But we also read that Saul was raised in Jerusalem. Now, Tarsus is a Gentile region, okay? It's a Gentile region. But Paul was not a Hellenistic Jew. A Hellenistic Jew was a group of Jews who were infected by Greek culture. They were Jews by blood, but they lived as the Greeks did. Their main language was Greek. Uh, they spoke Greek. They practiced Greek customs. They kind of got away from Hebrew customs. Paul says, that ain't me. I'm not a Hellenistic Jew. I am a Hebrew. I am a Hebrew. That's who I am. I'm not, I'm not a Hellenistic Jew. Now, Paul did speak Greek, but uh, the Palestinian Jews who were, who were not Hellenistic Jews, they spoke Aramaic and they knew Hebrew. And Paul says, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Paul says, I'm an Israelite. I'm an Israelite. Now, wait a second here. I thought Jews were Israelites. How could he be Hebrew and an Israelite? Why would he put that on there? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. This is Romans 9, verse 4. And in Romans 9, Paul is writing to the Jews, and he's speaking to the Jews. But notice what he says in verse 4. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, to them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, 
according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Amen. This speaks about the Israelites being adopted as a nation. Remember when God brought them out of Egypt, brought them in the promised land? Speaks about the glory, speaks about the covenants. God has given them the Abrahamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant. All of those have been given to Israel. As an Israelite, they're in line for those covenants. The Mosaic law was given to Israel, to the Israelites. The tabernacle that they carried around in the desert, that was for the Israelites. The temple that was in Jerusalem for the Israelites. Thousands and thousands of promises. The patriarchs, they all look back to the patriarchs in that line that they are from. That's the Israelites and the Christ, the Messiah. He is Jewish. He is there. He is for Israel. Paul says, I'm there. I'm an Israelite. I'm an Israelite. I'm from the line of Abraham. And that's who the Jews would look back to was Abraham. Paul says, I'm in that group. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's who I am. Verse 23, he asks this question. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Paul has already identified them as false apostles. He's identified them as false servants. They were just disguising themselves and pretending to be servants of Christ. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 11:13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Paul says they're not real. They're not real. They're not servants of Christ. I'm, I'm far better. Paul is a, is a true servant of Christ. And Paul is a true servant of Christ because Christ designated him as a servant. Amen. This was in Acts 9, 15. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul was sent to the Gentiles and the Corinth and the people of Corinth are a group of Gentiles. Paul was sent to them and proclaimed to them. Now Paul begins to list his suffering. And it was really hard for me not to put an S at the end of this, his sufferings. But as a servant of Christ, he suffered for Christ. And he lists out and he tells us about the suffering that he endured for Christ. He says, I'm talking like a madman, telling you these things and laying these things out as foolish. I'm crazy for stooping to this level and sharing this with you. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. That's a summary of what Paul has gone through. That's a summary of his suffering. It's insane that Paul is boasting about these things to prove that his apostleship is legitimate. Verse 24, Five times I received at the hand of the Jews forty lashes less one. Supposedly, if someone received forty lashes, 
it would kill them. So the Roman government had a rule that they couldn't lash anybody more than 39 times. If you lash them 39 times and they die, oh well, it's, you didn't do it 40. But 40 was against the law. You had to stop before 40. They lashed him 39 times. Five different occasions he took that kind of lashing. <coughs> Beaten within an inch of his life. Lashed within an inch of his life. Five different occasions. That's going to leave some scar tissue. He endured that. Verse 25 says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Three times. As a Roman citizen, he wasn't supposed to be beaten with a rod. It was supposed to be against the law. But he endured being beaten with a rod three times. Once I was stoned. He was stoned and left for dead. Stoned and left for dead. This is Acts 14. Now, Acts 14 is right before Acts 15 in my Bible. Acts 14 is Paul's first missionary journey. After Acts 14, Paul returns to the church of Jerusalem in Acts 15, and he says, the Gentiles are getting saved. It's crazy. But it was after his first journey. Acts 14, he's still on his first missionary journey. We read this. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So they threw rocks at him, knocked him unconscious, drug him outside of the city and said, yep, he's done for, he's gonzo. And they left him for dead. Then we read this in verse 20. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he entered the city. He went back. And on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. And he finished the rest of his first missionary journey. And he went and reported to Jerusalem and said, they're getting saved. And we're going to go back. And we're going to support the churches that we've already planted. And we're going to plant more churches. And he went back for three times total after being stoned on the first time. Verse 25 says this, Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Three times he was shipwrecked. How many of you would quit going to sea after one? Dayton and I were on one of those water jets. And uh, I went out by myself and I tried so hard to dump it and flip it over. And I couldn't do it by myself. So I showed my wife that being on a watercraft was perfectly safe. <laughs> I put Bubba in front of me and we started going out in the watercraft and Darcy's on the bank watching us like a protective mother thinking about wringing my neck. <laughs> a boat drove by and I didn't think it was too bad because I tried to dump it and I hadn't been able to dump it. So I went over the wake. Dayton and I are both in the water. 
haven't seen the jet ski since. <laughs> Dayton uh, has been asked a number of times, hey, do you want to go out in the water? He says, I don't do water. I don't do water. He showers. He hasn't taken a bath since. <laughs> Most people being shipwrecked one time would keep them out of the water. But he went in three times because he was carried the message of Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul faced constant danger. It says in verse 26, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Everywhere he went in his service for Jesus Christ, there was danger. Dangerous terrain, wilderness, city, didn't matter. Danger there. We would think being in the city would be safe. We would think being in the wilderness would be safe. Dangers he faced each time. You think he would be safe with the Jews, his own people? Risked his life, threatened his life. You think carrying the gospel to the Gentiles would be safe? He risked his life doing that. There were fake Christians that were out trying to kill him. Everywhere he went, everywhere he turned, there was danger. And that's just the big stuff. There's piddly stuff here too. Look at verse 27. And toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hunger, thirst, often without food, in cold and in exposure. I mean, how many of us would endure those things? I mean, when I don't eat every two hours, I start getting the shakes. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, and, and here he is going often without food. What would make him go often without food? What would make him go through hunger and thirst? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Making sure that people heard the message of Jesus Christ. He endured that. It wasn't all peaches and cream and Schwann's ice cream. He endured those things and went through those hardships. Endured those hardships. Continued to go through those hardships to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in cold and exposure. So in the heat of the day and in the cold, he was there as well. He was not just a seasonal follower of Christ. It was just not a seasonal opportunity to share Jesus when he felt like it. He went out and proclaimed Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but there's nothing in this passage that speaks about the good life. There's nothing in this that speaks about Paul living his best life now. It's not there. He endured all of that. Some people would look and say, well, well the only time we find hardship as if, as if we're not living where we should be with Christ. I don't think you can look at the Apostle Paul and say he's not living in the will of Christ. I think what he's doing is knocking on the door of Satan's domain, and do Satan is not happy about it. Right. That's where the battle is, is opposing Satan and driving back Satan's walls, not upsetting Jesus. Right. He's doing right what he's supposed to do. Amen. Going and proclaiming what he's to proclaim. And then notice what he says in verse 38. 
And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. The people of Corinth are weighing on his heart, causing him extra anxiety because they're not where they should be with Christ. He's come and he's shared with them and he's told them about Jesus Christ and they're drifting away. Talk about anxiety. Paul planted a number of churches, not just Corinth. And they were all facing the same struggles. He didn't leave them behind. He didn't forget about them. He didn't say, oh, well, I got you started. He was there for them, caring for them. As we read the epistles, Philippians, I think about, Colossians, I think about, frequently we read in there, I'm praying for you. I'm lifting you up. And, and Philippi, when he wrote Philippians, he was in prison. Right. And he's praying for them. Who does that? Mm. Only somebody with a heart for the gospel message. Right. For a heart with a heart for people who are lost, who need the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at verse 29. He says, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. Paul says, as these people are weak, I'm weak with them. When I look at them and I see them hurting, I hurt with them. Uh, when others were suffering, Paul's heart was aching. Paul is a true shepherd. Paul has a shepherd's heart. Right. Uh, and there's no way that the people of Corinth should be accusing him of anything else Here's his resume. How can you say he doesn't care? How can you say he doesn't love you? Now notice what he says in verse 30. Notice what he says in verse 30. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. Think about this for a minute. Think about gathering together with a bunch of your peers and they're bragging about all that they've accomplished. How many of us would walk into that room and boast about all of the times that we failed? We'd probably just keep quiet, wouldn't we? Let them boast, I'm not going to participate. I don't want to do that. Paul boasts about his weakness. Paul boasts about these negative things that have taken place. There have been positive things in Paul's ministry, right? Planted the church in Philippi, uh, received the call into Macedonia. God did that, brought him over to Macedonia. I mean, God has done all of these things. He's seen all of these things Paul has. How many people are going to be in heaven because of the Apostle Paul? He could have been sharing those things. Paul was not about boasting that way. Paul knew that in his weakness, that was when he was strongest. Right. Yeah. Notice verse 32, and this is a crazy way to end this whole thing, I think. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas 
was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and I escaped his hand. So Saul is on his way to Damascus and he's breathing out threats against the church. He's been persecuting the church, wiping the church out, doing great things for church removal. On his way to Damascus, he comes face to face with Jesus Christ. And his life has changed. He receives that call that we saw earlier there. Um, and he, his life has changed. In Damascus, just a matter of short time after he comes to know Christ, he's proclaiming in Damascus that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. And the king, King Eretus, wants him killed. He's a new Christian, new believer, wants him killed. How many of us would be tempted as new Christians to say, Whoo, I don't know if I signed up for this. <laughs> I was hoping maybe I, you know, I'll get my own parking place, but man, I don't know if I can handle this. this yeah. And then to get in a bucket, get in a basket, have someone tie a rope to it, lower you out of a window down the city wall, how many of you would say, I'll do that? Yeah. I'm afraid of heights. If I was 6'5", I wouldn't get out of bed. I think that's why I'm only 6'4". That and the basement ceiling of the church is only 6'4", so I can't be any taller. I would be afraid. I couldn't handle it. Paul entrusted himself in that basket to be lowered out by someone else. That's Kind of a humbling thing to be lowered out of a window. Not very masculine, not very manlike. But he did it. And you know what? From this moment on, he proclaimed Jesus Christ. He carried the message of Jesus Christ everywhere he went. Paul continue to proclaim Jesus Christ. So there you have it. Paul's foolish debating and Paul's foolish defense. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he foolishly debated. I'm glad he foolishly defended himself. Because as we look at this, as we see this, we understand a little bit about what Paul went through about what Paul did for the gospel's sake. But what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our lives as we look at what Paul has shared here? I think when we look at this, I think the first thing we've got to remember is that when we boast, let us boast of Jesus Christ. That's right. Let us boast of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I think more times than not, we can be tempted to boast about what we've accomplished we can boast about the things that we've done. Yeah. But I think in those moments, we've got to catch ourselves and we've got to say, you know what? Jesus Christ has done this. That's this, right. is, this is Christ. This is, this is not me. This is nothing that I'm able to do. This is Christ. And, and you know, I think, I think we need to do that and make sure that we're not stealing God's glory. Because we know the things that we've done honestly, if we're honest with ourselves. We know the things that we've done in our lives could not be done 
without God. That's right. I mean, honestly. And so as we think about those things, as we are mindful of those things, we need to make sure that when we boast, we're boasting in the Lord, giving him the glory, giving him the credit. You know, as we look at Paul here, we can definitely say that Paul walked the walk. That's right. All of this that he endured, at any time, it would have been, he could have quit, and no one would have blamed him. I mean, honestly, would we have blamed him? Well, Paul, you know, shipwrecked three times, you know. You know, you only shipwreck once, three's the you know, three strikes and you're out. You know, why quit after just one? We could have done that. But but Paul continued to persevere. And when he tells us to persevere, when he's encouraging the church of Corinth to persevere, do as I do, follow me as I follow Christ. He's not pushing us out on our own and saying, Good luck, this is where I stop. He's already been there. Yeah. He's like, come on with me. Follow me as I follow Christ. I think Paul is definitely a worthy example to follow. And I think as we look at this passage, it's a reminder that he is a worthy example to follow. Amen. Not because Paul was so great, but because the servant, the, the master that he served was so great. Amen. And that's who he served. And then I think the last thing that we can take home from this is that we need to make sure that we are not taken captive. There are so many things that come our way that teach contrary to this. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for us to fall into those things. It's easy for us to bend the knee to those things, to, to follow other things, just like the people of Corinth did. It's easy for us to fall into those false philosophies and those different mindsets, serve a different Jesus, serve a different gospel. It's easy for us to do that. But we need to make sure that we're following the one true God. Amen. We need to make sure that we're serving the one true Jesus. Amen. And that we're proclaiming the one true gospel. Amen. Because without those, we have nothing. Without Amen. those, we're taken captive of something that we shouldn't be taken captive by. Yeah. Great God.